So what does an elder do? You've seen the heart of an elder as George has shared his heart with us. And you know that somehow they're the decision-making body here at Cole. But the question is, what do they do? Most of us have an idea of leadership from our businesses, from the world around us, from our government, uh, even from our families, the way they're run, or whatever sphere you might be in. You have an idea of how our leadership is meant to work. Well, let me tell you that leadership in the body of Christ is different. We've been looking at First Peter and seeing how we're aliens and strangers. We don't quite fit in the world because everything about us is a little different. We're weird. We're peculiar. And one of those areas in which we are peculiar, we're different, is in leadership. The way the church is to function is to be very different than the world around us. But it's critical that we have godly leaders. The last few weeks, we've been looking at how the body of Christ suffers because we live in the world and we are different. We don't function as the world does. And therefore, as we seek to follow Christ, we will suffer. We will experience rejection. We will experience pain. Well, now Peter, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, turns to elders, to church leadership. And I think he does so because it's absolutely critical when the body is suffering that leaders be functioning as godly leaders, that they be functioning as God-designed leaders to function and not as the world functions. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter chapter 5. And you may say, well, why do I need to listen? I'm not an elder. Well, some of you are elders. You need to listen, elders. (laughs) Some of you are potential or future elders. You need to listen as well. But the rest of us need to listen as well. We need to be praying for our elders. We need to know how to love them and encourage them as they seek to live out what God's called them to do. So we need to know what God has called them to do so we can encourage them in that way. So we can, in some sense, hold them accountable to what God has called them to do. And you also need to listen because we are all, in some sphere, called to be leaders. It might be at your work. It might be in your family. It might be in a growth group or a Bible study. It might be just in a friendship with one other person. But God has called you to reflect godly leadership. And the principles we'll be looking at this morning that are directed to elders apply in all these other spheres as well. So I encourage you to take these to heart and ask, how, Lord, can I apply these principles where I am in the leadership you have called me to as well? So let's look at this. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, we'll be looking at to see what godly leadership is all about in the body of Christ. Verse 1, Peter starts out, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He starts out with, Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, ask, What is it therefore? What is it referring back to? Well, it's talking about the suffering that, ha- that is described in the verses above. And notice verse 17. It's time for judgment to begin 
with the household of God. That's part of the suffering process. God is in the business of purifying his church, helping us become all that he created us to be, the spotless bride. And Peter is concerned that the elders, the leaders of the church, be functioning properly in light of that. And Peter's obviously feeling a sense of urgency because he says, I exhort the elders among you to do this. He's in the process of purifying his church. We're in warfare. We're in a battle. And in a battle, where does the enemy always try to strike first? The leaders, right? You need to pray for your elders. You need to pray for your leaders because they are under the attack of Satan as they seek to shepherd and care for you. They're vital to the church. And that's the urgency, I think, that Peter feels here as he says, I exhort the elders among you. Well, let's look at the perspectives that an elder is to have. And if you look in your bulletins, there is an outline in there so you can follow along on a pink sheet. We're going to be looking first at the perspectives of an elder that he gives here in verse 1. Notice he starts out as he describes himself. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Now, if anyone could have set himself up as the first pope of the church, it could have been Peter. Jesus said, upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. But notice Peter's perspective. He has a perspective of team leadership. Not individual hierarchical leadership, but team leadership. He says, I exhort the elders, plural, among you, those that are just part of the body, as your fellow elder. He was an apostle. He was establishing churches. He was one of those that walked with Jesus. And he says, yet, I'm just one of you. You see, his perspective is one that we are a team. I'm a fellow elder. The term elder really refers to just maturity. Now, in the early church, they took the model from the Jewish synagogues that the elders, which were the more mature people in the body, the more mature men, they were set aside to lead in the synagogue. Well, the church took on that model. And so it was those who were more mature that were called to be the elders to lead. And he says, I am just one of you. So Peter puts himself as equal with them. And so the first perspective is team leadership. An elder must see himself as just one of several on the team. Part of a team of elder, a team of equals. And notice verse four. We'll jump ahead a little bit. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, who's to run the church? The chief shepherd. Who are elders then? Do they run the church? No. <laughs> they are there to be the under shepherds, to take directions from the chief chief shepherd to find the mind of the Lord and to follow it in the body of Christ. They don't just make decisions by what seems best. That's not how elders are to function. Rather, they make decisions based on their prayer and their submission to God himself and to one another as they come together as a team, as a group of men, and as they pray 
and rub shoulders with one another and sharpen each other, the Lord will lead them and guide them to the decisions He has in mind for the body of Christ. The best leadership is team leadership. I've been an elder in other churches before I came to Cole, and I can think of several times where an idea was thrown out, and I was convinced this is what God wanted, a particular course of action. But as I took time to pray about it and consider it, God began to change my mind and change my heart and bond us into a group, a team, in which we all sense the Lord's direction for us. You see, that's the way team leadership is to function. That's the way elders are to function. One man can't make all the decisions. One man can't decide. We're all too biased. We all have strengths, but we all have weaknesses. A one-legged chair can't stand up, can it? But a chair with several legs is balanced. It's strong. And therefore, Peter says, he reminds them, I'm just one of you. You need to function under team leadership, not just one in charge. And this takes great humility. Because some of us have the capability to be in charge. I remember Ray Stedman saying, Peninsula Bible Church, he was a very strong personality. He would do his best to step aside and not to lead, not to be in control, not to make sure his will was done, but rather to submit in humility to the group. And I know that was hard for him, but he would do that out of his commitment to make sure that the Lord was the head and not any one of us. So the first perspective of leadership is team leadership is best. Secondly, notice how Peter describes himself. He says, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, why would Peter throw this in there? What's he, what's he getting at? Well, a witness is someone who sees something. Yes, it's true. But the main meaning behind the word is someone who testifies of something. He's saying, what I see my job as is to testify about Jesus as Savior, about what he's done. He is Savior and he is the Christ. He is Lord. You see, the perspective of an elder, of a church leader in any ministry, even in your families, is that you are to be focused on Christ. The focus is not on programs. The focus is not on how many people are coming. The focus is not on anything other than Jesus himself and keeping the focus back on him. His redemption of us. You see, leadership in the church is not primarily administrative. It's not making decisions about parking lots and buildings, and sometimes those things come into it. But it's primarily theological, you might say. It's helping people keep focused on Christ. Helping, keep, helping people keep Jesus at the very center of their lives. As folks are struggling, elders are to come alongside, leaders come alongside and encourage them to remember that Jesus has walked that road before. He's been there. He's suffered. You can depend on him. You can trust him in the midst of life. You don't have to go it alone. That's the job of elders. I helped coach T-ball this last spring. And uh, if you've ever watched T-ball games, it's very interesting. <laughs> One of my jobs was to be out in the field when our team was out in the field and 
and uh, just kind of help the kids be in position and, and all that. There was one little boy, I'll call him Tommy, who every time I'd help him get in position, he'd be out there and, and I'd say, okay, Tommy, now when the ball comes to you, what do you do with it? And he'd kind of think and he'd go, I don't know. And I'd say, okay, Tommy, you throw it to first base. He'd say, oh, okay, okay. And then he'd get ready and then he'd look at me and he'd go, which one's first base? <laughs> I'd say, it's that one right over there, okay, where Tyler is. Okay, okay. Next inning, same thing over again. <laughs> he just have to be refocused every time. And that's the way T-ballers are. They're looking at butterflies. They're, they're tying their shoes. They sit down. They're plant throwing grass. And you've got to keep reminding them, okay, look, there's a batter. They're going to hit a ball. You know, it could hurt if it hits you in the head. So my little signal was, okay, batter up. And then I'll go, oh, yeah, we're, we're playing ball, aren't we? <laughs> and they'd get ready. Well, see, that's really the job of church leaders, to say batter up, to give the signals, to point people back to the fact that Jesus is in charge, to keep reminding them of the truth. You see, we're dealing with sheep. And as George quoted, sheep are hard to deal with. Sheep wander off. I think it's a great analogy of, of us. You see, our minds get distracted. We get busy in the world. We forget that the Lord is Lord. And so a primary job of elders is to keep saying, batter up. Keep saying, hey, the Lord's with you. Focus on Him. Keep focusing on Him. Keep trusting him. Then the third perspective we see in Peter is his third description. He says, I am a partaker or a sharer also of the glory that's to be revealed. See, the third perspective is hope in the future. As an elder, you need to keep remembering that your hope is in the future. You are a sharer in the, in the glory that is to come. Let me tell you, being an elder is not glorious here. It's a tough job. You should have dinner sometime with one of our elders and just ask them, how can I encourage you? What, what's it like being an elder? Where do you need prayer? Where is it tough being an elder? They need your encouragement because there really are no rewards here or very little. It's a tough job, but a a leader in the church must keep his perspective that, no, the glory is to come. My hope is in the future. It's not being in charge of a big, huge, successful church because, believe me, the problems far outnumber the encouragements you get. So leaders must look to Christ for Christ to reward them when He returns. It's much like being engaged. I did a wedding a couple days ago. And uh, it was such a great reminder of during the engagement, engagements are tough. You, know, you think, well, we're engaged, we're going to be married soon, but I'll tell you, planning a wedding and all the details that go into it, it's overwhelming sometimes for a couple, as most all of you know. And you look forward to that day if, finally, I can't wait till the wedding day, and this will all be behind us. And that's the perspective that elders have to have and that we all have to have, really that our reward is not here, but it's to come. My hope is in the future, and I'm looking forward to that day. We'll say more about that as we go on in this passage. Those are the perspectives. 
of godly leaders. Well, let's look at the practice of godly leaders. Verse 2 and 3. The only command in this passage in verses 1 through 4 is shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. See, the practice of godly leaders is all focused on one word, shepherd. Now, Peter draws on that word, and then he uses another word that is, shepherd is really the, the Jewish word, it's a Jewish picture, pastor. Our English word pastor is just the word for shepherd. That's what elders are to do. Then he draws on the word uh, exercising oversight, which is from the Greek world, but really says the same thing. One who exercises oversight is one who watches closely over. The same thing a shepherd does. So he's really finding two ways to say the same thing. So what does he mean when he says shepherd? This is what elders are to do, shepherd, the flock of God among you. Notice he says it's the flock of God among you. Over and over again in this passage, he's reminding the leaders, they're not your flock. They're not your people. He's the chief shepherd. He's the owner. We're just under shepherds. We're just serving him. We're just doing what we can to follow out his commands. Leaders who get possessive about the flock are wrong, just simply wrong. This is my growth group. Don't take anybody from me. <laughs> or this is my church. You mean you want to go to a different church? Well, and there's competition. That happens too often. But that's simply wrong. And I love the perspective of the leaders here at Cole. And George already stated it. We want to give our resources away. If we train people and send them to other churches, praise God. We want to equip people and have them ministering to the body of Christ, whether it's here or elsewhere. That thrills our hearts. That's what we're all about. Give our resources away. So what does the shepherd do? Well, first and perhaps foremost is feed the flock. You know, you take the sheep, you make sure that they've got food, you take them out to the pastures and make sure that it's good grass that they're eating and there's plenty of it. Make sure they get plenty of water. So one of the primary tasks of a leader is to see that the flock gets fed. The elders need to make sure that there's the teaching of the word here. The elders need to come alongside people one-on-one -on -one and encourage them with truth and in small groups. Make sure that the flock is well-fed and that they're fed the truth in counseling and exhorting, in groups, in church meetings one-on-one -on -one in all kinds of settings to make sure that the sheep are being fed the truth of God's Word. Secondly, shepherding involves caring for the flock. This means coming alongside, you know, checking for burrs in the, in the coat, pulling those out, looking for sheep that are wandering off and going after them, seeking to encourage them to come back, bring them back into the flock, combing their hair, tending to their wounds. All those things are part of what shepherding is about. It implies knowing your sheep really well. 
You see, to be a shepherd, you have to know the sheep. Now, some of you here may not know an elder because you're not in a sphere where an elder is serving, is shepherding. Well, I encourage you to make an effort to get to know them. And our elders are seeking more and more to shepherd in that way, to get to know you. It's part of a process that's difficult in a big church. But that's what they're called to, to care for the flock and to protect the flock as well, to watch out for wolves, false doctrine, to do church discipline on those that are rejecting truth, that are rebellious against God. That's all part of shepherding. Watching closely, caring for, loving, looking for cast sheep that are have foolishly fallen over. A cast sheep is one that's fallen on its back, and a sheep that's in that position can't get up by himself. That's a cast sheep. So looking for those that are caught in a situation that they cannot get out of by themselves. That's part of the job of elders. Maybe one of the things you can do is if you know of some cast sheep, call an elder. Their phone numbers are on the bulletin. Let them know about it so they can be involved in in ministering and caring for those sheep. One thing about sheep is they're just not very smart. (laughs) No offense, (laughs) but they'll literal sheep will walk right into danger and not even know about it. And see, sheep are defenseless. They don't have any way to defend themselves when danger comes. That's why they need shepherds. And that's part of the job of elders is to shepherd, come alongside, care for, watch for. But as he describes the practice of an elder, practice of church leaders, he gives three dangers that we need to watch for in any area of leadership we might be involved in. He says, first of all, verse 2, not under compulsion, don't shepherd under compulsion, but voluntarily. What does he mean by that? Well, it's easy as a leader to do it simply because somebody's got to do it. If I don't do it, it won't get done. Or to do it out of pressure from other people to take it on because it's just somebody wants me to do it. But notice what he says, do it not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. What an elder must have is not an attitude of, fine, I'll do it if I have to, but an attitude of, what is God calling me to do? It's Him that I'm serving. I can't meet every demand of the flock But what is God calling me to do? I can't give in to just pressure, but I need to seek Him and say, Lord, what is according to you? What are you calling me to do in my service? And that's true for all of us. You see, that's so important. It's hard to make that choice and keep seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, what's your call? But what will happen if you don't, leaders, if you aren't doing it out of a clear sense that this is what God's calling me to do, but you're doing it out of pressure, after a while you begin to despise the flock. You'll begin to say, not another demand. You'll begin to be frustrated. You'll begin to see people as interruptions, as pains, rather than part of the calling of God that He's given you. I know a pastor who sees the problems that people bring to him in the flock as interruptions of his life and his plans. He gets angry when people have problems. This man is not functioning as a shepherd. 
not as the shepherd that God's called him to. One who's doing it voluntarily, willingly. Lord, this is tough, but you've called me to it and I'm willing to do it. The second danger to watch out for is the motivation of greed. Notice how he puts it. Do this not for sordid gain. I think the NIV says uh, greedy for money, I believe it says. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. See, the second danger is for greed to motivate you. But it's not just money he's talking about. He's talking about leading because of what you get out of it. Doing it out of the motivation because of what I'm getting out of this for myself. In those days, elders, some elders were paid. Only those who worked hard at preaching and teaching, the rest were not. Well, it's similar to what we have. We have two elders that are on staff, Chris Rudell and Don Pettinger, who are paid, but all the other elders are not paid. But they can still have the wrong motivation. If they're eldering out of a desire for status, for power, for control, out of a sense that, well, I don't like what's going on at Cole, so I'm going to become an elder so I can change it. I'm going to make it the way I want it to be. Or out of a sense that people are going to look up to me if I'm an elder, <laughs> to impress others, to have control over others. All of these are wrong motivations. They're motivations of greed. So he says, don't be motivated by those, but rather do it out of eagerness. An eagerness to give yourself away. An eagerness to realize that I may not get anything out of this, but God's called me to do it, and therefore I'm eager to give my life away. You see, that comes out of a mature heart. It's not natural for us. But if you don't have that attitude, Lord, I'm eager to give myself away no matter what I get in return, then after a while you'll begin to manipulate the flock. You'll begin to use them to get what you want you'll begin to do what it says in Ezekiel. Let me read Ezekiel 34, just a few verses, because I think Peter has this in mind as he is writing. He says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. See, that's what happens when we begin to see the flock as something that we get from in any way. Ray Stedman again said this, I made a vow early in my ministry that I would never do anything for numbers, money, or for glory. It's a vow we all ought to take if we're in leadership or not. <laughs> the third danger to watch for, Peter gives us, he says, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Third danger is domineering. It's lording it over. It's saying, aha, I'm the boss now, so you need to do what I'm telling you to. And taking 
pride and delight from commanding others what to do. And there are churches like this where the elders tell people exactly what to do. They tell you who to marry. They tell you how to spend every dollar that you take in. They control other people's lives out of a sense of lording it over. Praise the Lord, we don't have elders like that here. Peter says, don't fall into that danger, but instead be examples to the flock. See, sheep are stubborn. But the funny thing about sheep, and I've been told they're the only ones that are this way, is you can't drive them, stand behind them and whip them and get them to go somewhere like you can with cattle or other animals, goats. The way you get sheep to go somewhere is you lead them. You walk ahead and they'll follow. And that's what he's describing here. Be examples. Show them which way to go. Walk before them so they can follow. If you don't, if you try to lord it over people to try to get them to be what you want them to be, and they are stubborn and they won't always go where you want them to, then you'll begin to abuse them and you'll do great harm. As I said, there's plenty of abusive churches. Kind of a summary to, of what he's describing here in the practice of, of church leaders is Dan Reeves, coach, former coach of the Broncos and Giants, he said, you can always tell the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. What a great guideline for leaders. How do you treat those who can do nothing for you? Well, verse 4 then, Peter goes on to give the promise for godly leaders. You see, being a leader doesn't sound very attractive, does it? <laughs> it's tough. You've got to give your life away. You're serving others and they're stubborn sheep and they won't always do what you want and it's tough. So what do I get out of this, Lord? I can't seek anything here. Wonderful promise in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a great reminder. You see, in the Greek world, they had the Olympic Games and other games all over. And when a victor won a race, they'd place on his head a little wreath made of vines that had leaves on it. But it wouldn't last. The victor had a moment of glory, but that was it. It was over. You think about in our world today, the honor that the world gives is like that. Princess Diana, her funeral was yesterday. What a wonderful outpouring for her. But how long will the honor last? Mother Teresa, she gave her life to serve others and love others, and the world did honor her, has honored her, which is a wonderful thing. But how long will that last on earth? See, she was a leader that will be honored according to what Peter says. She has received the unfading crown of glory, the unwilting, the one that will never pass, the eternal one. And that's what we have to look for. That's why we can serve now and give our lives away no matter what we get in return because of the unfading crown of glory that is coming. The honor that God will give to us And yes, ultimately we'll give it back to Him, but we will receive glory, Peter says. 
We can want that. It's okay. Just not here. We need to wait for Him to bestow it on His own timing. Then verse 5, He gives us the proper response to elders. That's what elders are to do. Notice verse 5, But you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proper response to elders, then, is to be subject, to submit to them. Now, my translation says, you younger men, likewise. Well, I think that's a generic term. It's really younger men or women. Why does he specify them? Well, I think it's because the youth, the younger folks like me, who uh, who tend to be arrogant and think we know it all. And he says, submit to your elders. Submit to those who are serving you, who are shepherding you. Follow them. Don't be critical. Don't be complainers but rather trust God to work through them, realizing that as they submit to their chief shepherd, the Lord will be using them. They're not perfect. We all know that. But God will work through them, and you have to trust Him to do that. And he ends with all of you. When he says all of you, he means elders too. Act with humility towards one another. You see, what ought to characterize all our relationships, whether you're an elder, whether you're a lay person, whether you're a leader in the home, or wherever you are, what should characterize your life as a Christian is humility. A sense of humbleness. A sense of not trying to promote yourself, but seeking to promote the Lord. Focus on Him. And Peter uses a word here that's really interesting. He says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I think Peter has in his mind that night that Jesus was betrayed. As they sat around in, in the upper room and Jesus took off his cloak and clothed himself with a towel, girded himself about, and washed the disciples' feet. The ultimate act of humility. And Peter saying, our Lord did it. Let's follow his example. Let's not be arrogant. If the chief shepherd did that, let us wash one another's feet. Let's gird ourselves with humility. And it must be in us as well, just as it was in Jesus. You see, there's never any room for demanding our way in the body of Christ, whether you're an elder or not. If for no other reason, because of the last part of this verse, God is opposed to the proud. He stands against the proud. If you become proud and arrogant, pushing your own way, demanding your own way, you become an enemy of God. <laughs> Not of those people you're angry at. You're an enemy of God. God is opposed to the proud. But when you clothe yourself hum with humility, He says, He gives grace. He gives grace. When we choose to lay aside our rights, take up the towel of humility, and serve those around us, and as leaders shepherd those around us, seeking to help them grow in Christ, focusing on Him, 
He gives grace. He gives you the grace you need to live it out. We measure our leaders by how successful they are, how many people follow them. But God measures leaders by how they faithfully and humbly shepherd those that are under their care. I had the opportunity yesterday to go to Les Miserables. It's a fabulous musical. And one of the things that struck me is the main character, Jean Valjean, is a man who is a criminal, stole bread, trying to help someone, but he's finally gets out of prison after 19 years, and he's on parole, and he's a bitter, angry man. Another man who he steals from offers him grace and forgiveness. It changed his life. And he spent the rest of his life doing what he could to show grace and care for others. Fontaine and Cosette. and uh, Even the man who was chasing him, trying to arrest him and kill him. Javert. You see, he'd been transformed by the grace of God. By forgiveness. And he spent his life changing lives because he spent his life extending that grace to others. You want a good summary of church leadership? That's it. God has forgiven me and I want to extend that grace to others. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are head of the church, that we can trust you for that. That we never really have to trust in men, but we can trust in you. To work through the men that you've given us, those mature leaders that you've placed over us. Help us, Lord, to humbly serve, to shepherd, to care for others in whatever sphere you've placed us. To not demand our own way, Lord, but to humbly share your grace that you've poured out on us with those in our care. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.